to the Tripping the Cats podcast. I'm David's work, your host, and it's finally time for our trip down memory lane to come to an end. I know I'm so sad. Um, nah, but I mean, over the last couple of episodes, uh, you guys have heard I've spoken with some amazing guests from former players, broadcasters, media members, rock stars. I mean, we've kind of gone across the spectrum of Panthers fans, and they've all opened up and kind of given, a, given us a glimpse into their uh, their favorite Panthers memories from the past uh, almost you know 30 years that the team has been in existence now. Um, and, and really, the results have not disappointed at all. I have loved this. I hope you guys have loved hearing it as much as I've loved talking to these people. And guess what? We're not done yet. We've still got uh, another episode to go with some great guests, and uh, we're going to get to it now. Um I mean, look, the hockey season is going to be here before we know it. It's literally right around the corner. Uh, But before we go around that final off-season corner, as it were, uh, let's enjoy the final installment of uh, this favorite Panthers Memories podcast. So, uh, all right, no more introduction by me. Here we go. Enjoy. As we continue down this path of Panthers memories, the next person we're going to talk to is one of my one of my absolute favorite guys to talk to at the range, one of the nicest guys I know, and also one of the most knowledgeable Panthers journalists that there is, uh, Florida Panthers website reporter, Jameson Olive. Jameson, welcome to the podcast, and thank you for joining me, man. Yeah, my debut. You've been doing this for a while now. It's my first time on, so happy to be here. Uh, you know, uh, visit number one to the Dork podcast. Really awesome. Well, I'm happy to have you. We're definitely going to have to do this again when we have some time to, to, you know, kind of sit down and marinate through a good hockey chat. But today, a little bit more hyper-focused. Uh, I know you've been with the team for a while now. We're just saying that you're going to be nearing a decade in the press box pretty soon. Uh, you've been through a lot of highs and lows, as most Panther fans have been. So I'm really curious uh, what your favorite memory or memories uh, have been over that time span. So uh, what do you got for me, man? Well, you told me about this about a week ago and had a little time to think. And the funny thing is, I mean, you, you say it right there. This is going to be my ninth season. I started out blogging and then I started working for Fox, which is now Valley. And then I started freelancing for the Panthers. And now I've been full time with the Panthers now for I think this will be my fourth or fifth season full time with the Cats. So, yeah, I, like you said, I've seen the highs. I've seen the lows. I've got yeah. to know a lot of great people, both, you know, in the media, you know, on the ice players, things like that. So, there's a lot of stuff to think about. And it's actually amazing how when you try to think about it, like nine years of stuff and only a few things really do stick out, which is crazy because you think that's in, in normal times, that's almost probably, it's probably six, 700 games I've seen, you know, in that time. Oh, and yeah. only a couple big things to me really stood out. And one is more personal. One is more, I think, just big in the hockey sphere. So I'll, I'll start there. And this is something I don't think you were there, but I know you remember the Panthers 20 round shootout, correct? Yes. No, I was, I don't, I wasn't in the press box, but I was in the building. You were in the building. So you, you, you remember that you remember the magic and kind of how that felt. And, and the, the funny thing, and like, that was one of those things that happened during obviously, you know, uh, the, 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 the leaner years for the Panthers, but it's something that I think will stick out in Panthers lore forever. And also just hockey lore forever, really. Yeah. And, and that was cool because it was like right after Luongo came back and it was a really big night for him in the shootout. What I remember most about the shootout was, uh, guys like, I think it was like Brett Olson scored in that shootout. And like the most improv, like twice when the Panthers had to score. And I can't remember the second guy, but two players who you would thought never would have scored, kept that shootout going before the eventual, uh, winner by Nick Butestad with his trademark toe drag. 
Yeah, so there, there, there was so much. Like you, touched, you, you, you said Brett Olson, would actually, which actually is actually an even deeper dive because that's a former Rampage great in the AHL. It was Dylan Olson. Dylan Olson. But the fact you know Brett Olson means you know, <laughs> you know the Deep Panthers depth chart from from back in the day, which is funny. Um, but yeah, that's the thing is the, the heroes are kind of what made it for me because you, you go through who scored. It was UC Okanen. Dave Boland, Derek McKenzie, Sean Bergenheim, and Dylan Olson, which was the most improbable one. I think that's still probably the only shootout attempt he ever had. Probably. And the, I mean, they were down to their last shot five times. And I remember each time, maybe the first one or two times you, you had, you had it in the back of your mind, like, all right, here's where it ends. You know, the Panthers are having a rough year. Like this is it, you know, it, it, this is where they go down. But then I think once they, once they did it, maybe I think the third attempt maybe is when I really maybe that was Dave Boland's attempt, and that's when you really started to believe, and that's when kind of the pandemonium started to set in. Which I think by around, it must have been around eight nine is when everyone in the press box was standing up, because that's when everyone really started to like in the press box you remain as neutral as possible, but at that point everyone tried. Everyone started to feel the energy of the building. And I remember Frank Fort, I was in the lower role, Frank, Frank, the, the lower row of the press box. And Frank Fort, who at the time was a fox, was up behind me. And after every attempt, I just kept looking back at him, like throwing my hands in the air and like giving him a freaked out face. Cause I'm like, how is this happening? And it just kept going and going and going. And then I think uh, the previous record was 15 rounds. So once they got to 16, it was just, you felt like it was never going to end. You were just playing with house money. And what I really didn't realize until, because I, I remembered who scored, that stuck with me. I remember the final score. I remembered so much of that game vividly, like watching things, who was in the press box. But the one thing that I didn't forget until you asked me this question, I went back and look, looked it back up, was actually how good Lou was. And you forget that, you know, the Capitals had 20 shot attempts in the shootout. They had five goals. Lou, Lou had 15, they missed some, but let's just say 15 stops, 15 saves. Uh, and, and you mentioned that kind of went right in line with him coming back to the Panthers and kind of yeah. Lou mania returning. So I think Lou's greatness in that shootout maybe is kind of the forgotten element. But has anyone else has come on and done you yet said said the shootout? Because I feel like that's just beyond Panther lore. I feel like that is such, such a big hockey thing because you and I could watch hockey for the next 40, 50 years and we're never going to see that again. That's a that's something the uniquely Panthers, the Panthers will always be in my mind, the winners of the longest shootout in NHL history. I don't see a team ever, ever coming close to that ever again. I, I sincerely hope not, Jameson. I mean, we've met the point now where like I'm kind of over shootouts in general and I think overtime should just be three on three for 10 minutes and we'll probably never see a shootout again. Um, goalies probably hate me for saying that. Um, but yeah, I mean, to touch on what you just said about Luandro, it was so amazing to watch that perform. I mean, Holtby also, I mean, both goalies were really awesome. And I will say even in a shootout, a missed net is just as good as a save on behalf of all my goalie brothers out there. The movement of the goaltender affects that. Yes. The position. Absolutely. Like a, like a post that's a save. Get count that as a save. But what I remember too about that, it was afterwards, uh, I had a little bit more time to linger and Lou did his media and Lou said, you know, Lou's a, a future Hall of Famer. He'd never seen anything like it before, been any you know part of anything like it before, which you expect, you know, a 20 round shootout. But I got some extra time just to kind of hang around uh, with Nick Busett after the fact, who of course you mentioned scored the game winner and just kind of his mindset going through. He kind of really did a good job of taking us on the bench and, you know, in his mindset of, you know, once it started, I think he said once it got to like 10 or 11, he looked at John Madden, who was the assistant coach back then, and said, like, Mads, what happens if we run out of guys? <laughs> yeah. And Mads was like, well, you better get ready because it's eventually going to get back to you. And then the fact that, like, 
all the guys were looking at each other on the bench. And like, like I said, the guys that went over the bench and scored those goals, Dave Boland, Derek McKenzie, uh, you know, Dylan Olson, like the amount of energy that each of those get later round guys left the bench with uh, was just insane because every guy was so riled up because that's the thing, this game and the grand scheme points wise really didn't matter uh, with how things were going for both teams. Um, but it really, it started to matter the longer the shootout went. Cause every guy at that point was like, we've come this far. We're having a great time. Like we want this. And I've actually never heard what the locker room was like for the capitals after the loss. I'm sure they, at the time, you know, I'm sure they just kind of shrugged it off, but there had to be a moment there where they were just like, I can't believe we got this far and we're taking an L here because the Panthers, uh, they were, they were living it up in the room. They were loving it. They were having such a great time, but also we talk about stories. We talk about the unique guys. We talk about Luongo, but the fact that, you know, Nick Bukestad, he missed his first attempt. So he already has that in the back of his head going out there in round 20. And to go out there, you know, do his little fake and score that goal, uh, just an incredible moment. Uh, I, I still enjoy talking to a lot of guys from, like, those years of the Panthers, a lot of good guys, Nick Bukestad in particular. But uh, in terms of, like, a Panther hockey moment, I still have a personal one, but Panther hockey moment, that was my moment for sure. Yeah, and, I mean, I'm sure for the Capitals, it was a consolation for them because a uh, I'm willing to bet that that was one of their many playoff seasons. So they had a little bit more important things to worry about. Whereas for the Panthers, that was, I mean, look, we're still talking about it. It was a franchise moment. And as you said, probably a record that's going to, going to last for, uh, for hopefully forever, because I mean, who wants to see a 20 round shootout anymore? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, I, I really can't see it happening. I, I, I don't actually don't know what the longest is since then. I obviously the record before was Ooh. 15, but I don't know in the, I think that was 2014. So the six or seven years since, how That's long a, a shootout's gone since. And I, I can't imagine it's gone past 10, 11, it, no. like half, halfway probably is as far as they gotten. But um, that was it. That was my, you know, all time Panther moment. I think I've been in the building for the playoff games, even going back to like the two thousands and stuff, those moments, you know, uh, game seven, you know, in 2012, uh, the series against the Islers in 2016, when Vincent Trocek came back from injury and played, you know, back-to-back double overtime games. And there's a ton of actually, that's the thing, like there were lean years for the Panthers, but there's still a ton of great memories uh, in the course of an 82 game season, plus a couple of playoff appearances for this team. And obviously it looks like now we're just going to make a ton of new memories with how good the team looks now, which is exciting, but we can't forget those years. We can't forget those memories, but that takes me to uh, I, the two-parter, which is my personal favorite memory of what I've been able to do with the Panthers um, was definitely that trip to Finland a few years back, just because that felt like such a weird, unique, obviously unique, but just such a weird fever dream because we played in New Jersey that night. And right from that game, we hopped on a flight on an, uh, a Finnair flight over to Helsinki. And the flight, I think it was 12 hours, maybe. It's hard to tell, wow. but no one really, there was like some people sleeping, but not really. And the guys had like really nice first class seating up front. And then the, the regular seats were, uh, you know, team staff and then the, the Fox Sports Florida staff and all the broadcasters and then a couple people from the NHL who came over with us. But it's, you know, a big, big plane. So everyone had their own row, even if you weren't up in the, the first class. So I actually remember like falling asleep for like an hour on the plane, but then you wake up and like Mark Pizik's at, at, like sitting on your feet at the end of your row because the guys... <laughs> the guys want to play cards and in, in the nice seats up front, which are like sleepers, you can't group up. So they actually came back to hang out and play <laughs> cards and stuff. And it was just, it, it kind of felt like having your own flying clubhouse for 12 hours. But then we land in Helsinki. The moment we get there, we go right to practice, not even to the hotel. The guys wow. go right to practice at this weird kind of underground cave type thing that was at the, um, 
that was at the arena at the time. So it was just really cool. And then after that, you go to the hotel, it's snowing and downtown Helsinki was kind of just this crazy kind of fairy tale place just because it was so quiet for being this major, you know, major city in the world. Um, but, you know, the trip itself, the, the, the two games, Panthers got a win, which was nice. Um, meeting, the, meeting the Finnish fans was crazy. They're so passionate, um, particularly, obviously, the love for Barkov over there is incredible. But even because of that, through osmosis, the love of the Panthers. I mean, Doug Plagans and I got recognized more in Helsinki than we ever have in South Florida, which is wild That's to so think funny. about. Um, but <laughs> Going over there, I got I got to do a, a video segment, which I don't do a lot of those. So I'm more behind the camera, but I got to do a fun video <laughs> segment, uh, which is just talking to fans, which was awesome. Um, but the craziest thing was just walking into like, uh, uh, what was it Hesmart? I forget what it was called. Hesmart, I think, was the name of like their kind of you know 7-Eleven type shop. And we walk in, Doug and I, just to get a couple essentials. And like, there's a magazine rack up front, and Barkov's on two magazine covers, and like. <laughs> We're, you know, um, that's not even just like a Florida thing. Like you just don't see hockey players on magazine covers in the United States. So not to go to, to go to there and see Barkov, you know, on a magazine cover, which is so cool. Um, but that, I mean, the sauna culture, we got to do a night at the saunas, one of the off nights with uh, our video guys and people from Fox, you know, Doug was there, our PR guy was there as well. It was just such a unique week of hockey kind of just stuffed in the middle of a season because we played hockey. We went to Finland. We came back. We got right back to playing hockey over here. Like there wasn't really time to breathe. It kind of just felt like it would just kind of fit perfectly low in that little window. But that trip was something I'll never forget. And I I, I got to go back at some point. I want to go back as a tourist and get to, to hang with the Finns again because I love Finland. I love the Finns. Obviously, we you, you know, you know, personally, the Finnish hockey players are the nicest people and it yeah. extends to everyone over there. It's a great country. What was the biggest cultural difference that you kind of noticed when you were over there compared to how things are here in the U.S.? The biggest cultural differences were little things. And by little things, I mean like really little things. Like there was a McDonald's you went to. And the funny thing is you go to Helsinki, you go to Finland, you tell yourself, I'm going to experience the culture of Finland and Helsinki. Right. I'm not going to do anything like I'm not going to waste a meal or anything. But <laughs> then you, you then you have a game or you have practice and you're, you're dog tired. Or there's a McDonald's across the street from the hotel. <laughs> so you go to McDonald's. And so we went to McDonald's and it was actually Doug also went to fin finish Taco Bell. And that's a whole nother story I hope to tell you, but he enjoyed it. But finish McDonald's was actually delicious. Very different from American wow. McDonald's, which I'm not knocking American McDonald's, but they, they must have different regulations over there and stuff. But the biggest thing for me was a large drink at Finnish McDonald's was like half the size of a large in America. So uh. portions are also very different, which I found interesting. Um, but little things like that. Uh, the sauna culture was big, though. Uh, we went to one of the sauna, like the big sauna clubs in downtown Helsinki and just how how common that is it was really uh, unique. And just the fact that people will, you know, go to work nine to five, but then, you know, go to the sauna club from six to seven, you know, take, get in the sauna, take a dip. And that's not like a luxury. That's just a part of your, your daily routine is how it, it's just how important sauna culture is there. So that was cool. Um, no tipping in cabs was very, very tough wow. to swallow because we, we took a ferry one day to Estonia, but we took a, a, a cab to get to the ferry station and like we get there and we're like scrambling for cash once we get there after we pay and the guy just looks at us he's like please get out he's just like <laughs> <laughs> he, 
like he understood what you're trying to do, but it's like, dude, like, no, like they don't even, like, they don't even, you don't even want the tip. He's just like, yeah, come no, on, get out of here. Yeah. It's just not part of the culture <laughs> tipping, especially maybe specifically in Cavs, but in general tipping, not big over there. So like, he was like, yeah, these guys don't know what they're doing. Just please get out. Like, <laughs> we're, we're not about that life. So little things like that, but overall just the general niceness of the people, everyone in Finland, I didn't meet a single person in Finland that was rude that like, and I'm sure there are rude Finnish people, but <laughs> I did not meet any of them. The, the average Finnish person was just so nice, so welcoming. Um, and yeah, just an incredible trip. And with, you know, Barkov obviously here and, you know, with Lundell now coming and, you know, all these other Finns in the pipeline and Finns that are here, I, you got to think the Panthers eventually end up back in Finland for mo- more global series games in the future, you know, fingers crossed. Yeah, global series. I would like to see a stadium series game or something like that happen down here, God willing. I mean, you think this is the time, right? The Panthers are poised. They're hopefully going to be one of the best teams in the lead. They're going to get some attention that, you know, all these, the stars are lining up is what I'm like, try, like seeing lately. It's like, hopefully this is the time, Jameson. We've seen so much. And it takes uh, time is the thing. Cause you, you forget the Panthers haven't made the playoffs in back-to-back years uh, quite a bit ago. So I yeah. was like back or way, way long ago. So I think it's not going to happen overnight, but if the Panthers can string together three or four, playoff seasons here which they're definitely capable of i think that's when they enter the conversation of teams that suddenly get all the national tv games get the stadium games and the global games and suddenly are just a part of you know the higher level of hockey just know it all rather than being niche or like a a fun underdog you're just a really good powerful hockey team yeah well i mean we saw kind of that happen with the pittsburgh penguins they went from being kind of like a pretty bad team for a while to kind of a decent team and now they're mainstream you know q brought the blackhawks back when they were you know pretty terrible for a long time um it's the panthers turn right they, yeah. they paid their dues we deserve it we deserve it and obviously it's a especially with the moves they made this offseason it, it looks good yeah. like you said uh they get and every guy in that room is so deserving and such a good dude too so uh, they're ready you know south florida the market i feel like is ready everyone's ready you know just come october please we're ready for puck drop let's get going oh what a perfect way to wrap up our time jameson i love it <laughs> i love the positivity and I'm sure we'll be uh, sharing while trying to keep our cool in the press box. We can share just like that little side glance. Like, yes, we just scored another goal. A little fist bump. Yeah, a little, a little bit. Yeah, just, you know, keep it on the DL. <laughs> <laughs> but Jay, thank you so much for just taking a little time and sharing your memories and your perspective. Because I, I just, I had a feeling you're going to have something interesting to talk about. And I, you did not disappoint whatsoever. So thank you so much. And I'm looking forward to seeing you at the rink uh, in a few weeks, really. Yeah, sounds good. I'm looking forward to listening to everyone else's memories. I'm sure we all have different ones. And I'm, I'm sure when I listen to some other interviews, I'm going to say, man, I completely forgot about that. That is yeah. a great memory. Okay, next up, we're going to hear from one of my oldest friends here in South Florida, somebody who is, uh, I don't know if, if I would say he's obsessed with hockey the way I am. He's certainly, uh, certainly into it more than most. And uh I don't know. What would you say, Roy Bellamy of the Dan Levitard show? Are you obsessed with hockey? I would say that I uh, went from being a fan to a credential media member, which is probably uh, a uh, goal or fantasy that most hockey fans would probably like to have to go to games for free and eat press box food and get paid for it. Yeah. And punch each other in the leg when you can't celebrate in the uh, press box. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> just get up and walk around and just hide the hide the fist pump and yeah exactly all right well roy thanks a lot for joining me today obviously i know you're a huge hockey follower and fan because since we've known each other which has been i don't know 12 13 years now something along those lines one of our 
more constant topics has been hockey. Not always the most positive conversation being uh, Panthers followers, but that's changing now. But the team has had some fun and had some success and good times over the years. So I'm very curious. What is your favorite Panthers moment? Uh, I would have to say um, there was this time late May, uh, maybe early June in 1996. <laughs> um, so there was, a, there was this game, right, versus this, uh, this team in Pittsburgh. And, uh, that you love. That, that uh, <laughs> totally adore. Uh, it was an away game for the Panthers. Um, in a series of seven, this happened to be the seventh game of said series. So I'm at my uh, at my cousin's house. It was like a cookout. I believe it was like a Saturday night or so. Um, and I turned on the TV and remembered that oh, game seven's tonight. It's not my TV, but I'm going to turn this on. I'm going to watch this game. <laughs> and uh, the people behind me who happen to be my relatives are like, what is this? <laughs> it's, uh, it's the uh, Eastern Conference Final. Uh, who, what team is that? It's the team that currently plays in this region, you know, <laughs> down the street from the house. Like, oh, we're in the, we're in the playoffs? Oh, wow, okay. So... I got people who would otherwise never watch the sport watch this team win the Prince of Wales trophy that night. So that was, that was pretty nice. That was a good memory right there for me. Got the family to watch hockey. It's pretty good. Pretty good game to, to get them kind of introduced to the sport too. I mean, that was about as intense as it could get. Oh, yeah, definitely. definitely. Underdog Panthers team playing against this team of monster superstars Hall of, Hall of Famers yeah Lemieux Yager Francis Barrasso I mean you can go on and on yeah. and here go the Panthers off to the finals off to the finals very off cool finals. very, now, very since cool you, since you've been working in the media you've actually like you said you've been to a few Panther teams here or there anything stand out to you from what you've covered in person that's just been a special moment uh I covered my first road game um in the uh, series lost to Tampa. Um, what was that like going up to, uh, cause that I've been up there to cover the Panthers once also last season. And I've been there as a fan, but that building has gotten insane the last few years with like the, the electricity things in the roof and the fans are just, you know, foaming at the mouth. It seems lately, which, you know, I guess, what is it? Champa Bay or whatever BS yeah. name we've come up now with our newest rival to the North. Yeah. Uh, that was not fun. Uh, <laughs> I got there early, so they weren't letting anybody in. Obviously, that was so. I just walked around the area, you know, wearing warm clothes on a hot day because I'm going to a ice rink. <laughs> so yeah. just walking around, and then I finally get inside, and I get lost uh, <laughs> trying to get to the press box, and uh, there's a little curtained-off media. Uh, section that served uh, breakfast uh, and then tried to find my way around and I walked up what I would have thought would have been the press box but it ended up being the NHL's officiating room. Nice. And, no, that was definitely not nice. Uh, hey guys. <laughs> I'm over here trying to find information. Nobody was helping me. They were just trying to throw me out. I'm like, I'm 
I have a press pass. Can you tell me what a press box is? Because it says press box on the outside. Like, no, get out. Like, okay, you're not going to help me here? <laughs> like, like nothing? Like, no, get out. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Thank you. Thank you very much, sir. Set, set up the rest of the day quite well, right? Yeah, that was uh, that was definitely a precursor to the day that I had. <laughs> Two flights same day, and uh, yeah, that that was that was not fun at all. Well, I hope uh, I hope there's more positive road trips to come in the future. But um, but thank you so much for for reliving some of these moments with me, Roy. I, I'm sure that we'll be sharing some more Panthers stuff together this season, but. Uh, Thanks a lot, man. I was really hoping to get your perspective on this, so I appreciate you uh, being a part of this. Yeah, you're welcome. I hope that perspective was uh, <laughs> pretty enlightening. A family's first hockey experience being the Stanley Cup semifinals in South Florida. I mean, that's pretty unique. Yeah, yeah. And me almost getting arrested in Tampa was also pretty unique, too. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. maybe not the most positive of memory, though. Right. Uh, <laughs> I mean, look at who you're talking to. Yeah, that's true. You've got a giant hat on right now that says be positive. So, mm, yeah. <laughs> All right, brother. Well, be well and thank you again. Thank you. Okay, as we continue and uh, get some of these amazing stories and relive Panthers memories, we're going to talk to somebody who has been around the Panthers organization almost the entire time it's been around, really, um, and somebody who uh, is part of one of the more seminal moments in team history. And that is the, no, actually, I was going to say the original number 11, but you weren't the original number 11, were you, Bill Lindsay? No, I wore uh, number 23. Yeah. In camp. And uh, it then later got available later in that season. I asked, asked Bobby Clark if I could wear that number 11. And he gave me permission about three quarters through season number one, but started training camp with number 23. And that was my initial jersey number to start. Awesome. Well, Welcome to the pod again, Billy. You've been on a few times. I always love having you. But um, as I as I warned you before we started recording, I'm getting everybody's favorite Panthers memories. I know what a lot of people's favorite memory of you is. It's a goal that you scored while uh, what was it horizontal to the ice in uh, 1996. Um, but I wanted 96. to get what your favorite memories was, if if it's different than that. So have at it, my friend. Oh, I was, had some good memories right off uh, first memory for me really started right at training camp when I, I was with the Quebec Nordiques and come down here to South Florida, didn't know what to expect. And we're staying at the Doral hotel down in Doral and the golf course is there. And at that time still had the, the Doral open, the, the tournament, we're all aware of it. And all the hockey players love to play a little bit of golf and we got <laughs> to train camp and uh, got to start out. We did have training camp at Miami arena actually. So we stayed at Doral and, Coming from Quebec, I thought this is a little bit different. This is a little bit of a unique situation that we have down here. And I want to be part of this, that we can go out and play golf, wear flip-flops, wear shorts. So did, did the scrimmages during the day and uh, the humidity at the time, uh, first couple of practices in that Miami arena were so brutally hot and exhausting. So didn't actually get to actually play golf until about three or four four days into training camp until I got my skating got my skating legs and got acclimated uh, <laughs> to the situation. But that's when I really, that's one of my fondest memories was actually just attending that first training camp and getting to play some golf there at Doral and getting down into Miami arena. And at that time I wasn't sure if I was going to make the team out of training camp 
and then was lucky enough to lead the, the team in regular season or sorry, preseason scoring. And that led to a spot on the team. But Roger Nielsen was quoted in the newspaper. He said, if Bill Lindsay leads our team in scoring, we're going to have a lot of problems, a lot of issues. So I took it with a grain of salt. And that's when uh, it got off running. That was uh, big, that first game, that first experience down in the Miami arena with the fans, how intimate it was uh, going into the playoffs. But just going back really right from the start of day one, just falling in love with the community my teammates were special at that time were able to have a lot of leadership around me uh, to really help me as a young player grow and uh, to learn what it's like to play in the NHL and what it's all about once I got used to to all of that and got down here and just that first year was really memorable everyone talks about the 96 run but the uh, pieces to put into place really started in Bobby Clark with that expansion draft and getting this team off and running and that that first season missing the playoffs by one point and then 94-95 missed the the playoffs again by one point and then 96 the Stanley Cup so it really started for this team from when Bobby Clark picked the expansion draft and the players on it because a lot of that those players on the board and most notably Van Beesbrook uh, would become a staple down here and he put the core of that team together and that was able to lead us onto that Stanley Cup run. So that was special. The 96 playoffs, that the run in Miami arena, that's been talked about a lot. Uh, so I'll probably skip over that, that one because the memories are there for me, but and the team and just how special that was and how everyone grabbed onto it as a community. And then I guess for me, just playing in Miami in general, throughout the course that's why I ended up retiring there uh, been so happy and grateful to stay with the organization in the broadcasting role uh, do some community stuff on and off the ice so all of that has been uh, really something that has stuck home with me so when I went down there and was able to see what it was all about and what South Florida and this how we were uh, we're able to really capture the hockey market in Miami at that time is something that will last for last with me forever. And it's something that's still going today, which I can't, if you'd ask me, David, that 27 some odd years later that I'd be living uh, 10 minutes from where I stayed in a hotel room <laughs> and, you know, at the end of training camp and for the first season, I would have told you, you're crazy. I wouldn't have believed you 20. I said, I said, this would not be possible, but um, that's the way that it's shaken out. And then as I've transferred over the years into the broadcasting and some of the special moments, um, just getting into the playoffs a, a few times with this team, the, the, having some of the players come through like Yarmir Yager and the records that he was able to break. And then seeing some of this young stuff with Huberto and Barkoff and Ekblad and seeing this young core that's been put together this has been a, a special moment for me from a broadcasting situation to watch these young kids come in as 18 19 year olds into the nhl and blossom into superstars and to see it from a different perspective outside the locker room and just notice it as a fan uh i've really enjoyed it it's something that i wouldn't uh, when I retired, I didn't know how much I, I would pay attention to the game or how much it meant to me, but being able to watch it and be involved with it and see some of these personalities and some of these kids kind of continue this legacy 
um, to get back. And it's been a long time since 96, but, but making the playoffs last year, really pushing Tampa Bay, uh, sort of got that old feeling back that this group now is something that is really special. We had a special group in 96 that was really competitive, worked hard, and that got us to the Stanley Cup final, but it didn't get us a Stanley Cup championship. This group that we have now is more talented and has a better all-around uh, team form, team as far as defensemen, goaltending, um, everything. Goaltending has to be again, again, a little bit better. That's the one area, but um, for all of it, to watch it grow, they're in a position now to really take the reins and do something that we could never do and that's something that this organization's never done before, and that's win a Stanley Cup. Amen. So if that, if that comes to fruition, to watch these kids from 18 years old and have these core group uh, get surrounded by one of the best coaches in the game, Joe Quenville, this is where it's really special for me again, David, uh, to take it full circle from day one at training camp to t try and show everyone because of the years of losing that this is a hockey city. And once this team gets on a run, we've seen what's happened in Tampa Bay, but the Panthers are onto something and they're very, very close to knocking down that door. And you can see it with the growth of everyone in the organization and everything that Bill Zito's done with this team. They are close to winning a Stanley cup. It's crazy to even think about. Cause it's like, as you said, 96 is a long time ago. <laughs> yes, it was. Many of our viewers, yeah, probably, yeah, right, yeah, probably not aware of that time. But nice. So those are that's those those are the special memory, memories for me. Playing was just starting out, yeah, and grabbing how much this team has meant to me over the years. It's I played for five or six other NHL teams, but just none of them stuck with me like South Florida did. The fans, I still have great friendships with the fans and. Uh, what that city has meant to me, what it has brought to me and my family, my wife Carrie. Uh, it's something that has been priceless. So now to see this group of team, one, I just want to see this team win a Stanley Cup at some point, and uh, that's my dream. So um, uh, we went to the Stanley Cup, but to see this team actually maybe achieve that in the near future is, yeah, it kind of gives you goosebumps just kind of talking about it now uh, because I know how hard it is just to get to that Stanley Cup. But if you ever do win it as an organization, no better feeling and to do it in South Florida for myself that would be pretty pretty much the pinnacle on my hockey career that's pretty awesome that even you know however many years it's been since you retired and you've been part of the team for you know as a broadcaster for a while now it's still that important it's still like it's still that connected you still feel it that much yeah that's where it is I mean, when you retire um, the funny thing is you really do become a fan too. the passion that you played with and the soul that you tried to leave out there for all the fans when you're a professional athlete. And now you take it back. And now you, I can tell where the fans invest in players, the bar costs and because I get so invested in a team when I see them on the ice and I see someone giving their all and they're doing their best trying to win that trophy because I've been inside those locker rooms and I know how everyone they get paid a lot of money and the fans can be frustrated but this group now really seems to be clicking in the locker room and watching them on the ice the compete level is starting to go through the roof and they're starting to realize what it takes and I believe last year's loss to Tampa Bay will be a growing lesson next time that they get into the playoffs so to, to watch all of this is just 
it's just been ecstatic to watch where they're at and uh, to finally be where the position that they're be at to be at to make the playoffs this year, hopefully, and then the next five or six years, they seem set up good to, to be a continual playoff team. And if you keep doing that, the more chances you get in there, the closer you get to a Stanley Cup. It's kind of crazy to think how many years in the Panthers' existence have you gone into a season thinking if they don't make the playoffs, it'll be a disaster. <laughs> yeah. Like when have they ever had a bar set that high heading into a season? It's pretty amazing what they've done here in the last couple of years. But the yeah, uh, last couple of years and what's what's Bill Zito's put together here. What's different about it now, David, is the locker room and the chemistry in there. You're starting to see the guys play for each other. The guy beside them, it's becoming a really we mentality. And Joel Quenville in the locker room has a big part to do with that, but they realize that this is their shot. They're starting to put this core group together and this is when they're, they're really hitting their prime. So they are, they pushed Tampa Bay uh, without it. It was that series, even using three goaltenders, if you can believe that we pushed Tampa Bay hard. Uh, <laughs> That's the one thing, like if they had maybe yeah. used only two goalies in that series or got, you know, obviously you, you don't play a Monday morning quarterback, but they, they yeah. gave Tampa such a good run. Uh, it's very frustrating. But I mean, you know, the, the phrase goes, it takes one to know one. And so for somebody who was a part of a Panthers team that, as you said, wasn't maybe the most talented, uh, but came together as a team, played for each other, the we factor. And now for the first time since then, we're starting to see that again in the locker room. And so it made sense that for the first time since then, there's a team that's a legitimate Stanley Cup contender. And uh, yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head that it's, what Bill Zito has brought in with guys like Hornquest and Budis. And, you know, now you bring in a Joe Thornton guys that they come to work every single day and put in 110% every single day. And that work ethic, I think is reverberating throughout the locker room now. Yes. you you got that correct. And that is, and that's why, like, if you look over the special moments and we've had special players in Yager and we had people break records, but this league all about the playoffs, just asking Nikita Kucherov, I, everyone talks about the salary cap and everything, but, he sat out the whole whole regular season, but the postseason that he had, what's everyone going? If if he scored fifty goals in fifty six games this year, didn't make the playoffs, sort of like what Connor McDavid's going through in Edmonton, or an, an exit in the first round. Yeah, no, who remembers? But if you put up the numbers that Kucherov did, and if it wasn't for Vasilevsky, would have been the Smythe Trophy winner. What do people remember? They remember that that's when you're on the TV. That's when you're in the spotlight. Right. Um, that, that's where the Panthers this year getting their bark off, seeing everyone, seeing the attention, seeing the Selkie trophy come down to South Florida, uh, getting some awareness uh, with this club, putting them. That's that's when the faces are on you. And that's when you grow a franchise. And that's what it's. So when you look at special moments for me, the records, the great players have gone through here, but it's the moments that we've been in the playoffs, losing to New Jersey in game seven, going against the Islanders last year against uh, Tampa. It's been a while, but we're, 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 we're getting there finally. And it's, it's really, really exciting. It's been, it's, it's taken a long, hard route to get here, but to me, it'll be that much more worth it when yeah. if you finally climb that mountain because of the hardships that you've had to go through. Yeah, it will be. God willing, it will be a sweet, sweet moment. And uh, I'm glad that, you know, depending where it is, you and I all might be able to share it together. If they can do it at home, we'll be. Uh, that would be, that would be unbelievable. That would be cracking so good. Bud Lights in the press box. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it would just be, yeah, be, there would be stuff going everywhere, man. Yeah. Be, 
that would be a dream. Yeah. Well, we'll I got the hopefully get there, man. Head now. <laughs> yeah. Nobody can see you, but you got a giant smile on your face right now. So <laughs> it'll be it'll be fun, man. But thank yeah. you for taking a little time during the summer vacation. I know this is a time of the year where everybody kind of does their thing and take a step back. So I do appreciate you, my friend. Uh, you've always got time for the podcast, and I'm eternally grateful for your friendship, man. So thank you again so much. You're awesome, David, man. I had fun working with you too, man. We, we, that was, right? Bring back the KHL. Doing, doing the KHL games, and that was an experience. I love that stuff. It was that was some that, that was some fun times doing that. Yeah. That's been challenging, but uh, always a pleasure to be on. And I'm so glad to have you around and see you at the press box all the time, David. Thanks. Awesome, man. Okay, joining me now uh, to go over hopefully some very awesome and cool memories is somebody who, uh, who I've known forever, uh, who I've worked with, with for a long time, been one of my best friends, but also who worked on the Panthers broadcasting crew uh, on the radio side for, for almost a decade. So uh, welcome to the Chirping the Cats podcast, the Alex Dono. Thank you for, uh, for doing this, my friend. Dave, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me, man. And yeah, I've got so many good memories, not only for uh, I want to say seven years on the broadcast. I'm not like, and I loved it, but I'm not like the sentimental type who counts episodes <laughs> and seasons like that. But I think it was seven years. And dude, between that and also just growing up a Panthers fan, I've got so many awesome memories of that team and, you know, two different arenas watching them play. Yeah. All right. Well, without any further ado, man, let me, let me hear it. As I know you told me you put some thought into this. I'm curious what you came up with. So let's have it, man. Yeah, I mean, it was difficult to even find one to zero in on, but I got to tell you, one of the most fun times, interesting times, and challenging times that I had working on a Florida Panthers broadcast, this was the first season that I did it. It was the 2014-2015 season. I was doing pregames, intermissions, postgames, and that was the one season where I got to work with Randy Moeller. I guess most of the times I was working on the broadcast, uh, and, and these are all awesome people, but most of the seasons I was working was with uh, Doug Plagans and Bill Lindsay. But the first season I did was Randy Moeller's final season on the radio side before he moved to TV. And there was a lot of uh, wild stuff that happened in that 14, 15 season. And, you know, within my first few months on the broadcast, December 16th, 2014, home against the Washington Capitals. That day was when we got the 20-round yes. shootout against the Caps. What a night. And, oh, my God. It, it was insane. <laughs> and, you know, it, it was an NHL record. Uh, the previous record was 15 rounds. You know, I don't know how many years ago, but the Capitals were also involved in the previous record. So it's just something about Washington. If you take them to a <laughs> shootout, you could be there all night. And it was so crazy because, obviously, nobody had ever seen 20 rounds of a shootout. And I had never seen it even go nearly that far. And this was my first season broadcasting hockey. And I remember even during the broadcast, when it got to like 10, 11, 12, I asked Randy, I'm like, Randy, what happens when everybody's shot? Like, what do you do then? <laughs> He's like, well, I'm not sure, Elbow, but I think we just start over. And so like you started to get the second <laughs> round of guys shooting and it was just unbelievable. Um, you know, Roberto Luongo was the netminder at that year, of course, and in that shootout, and he made a big save against Ovechkin, and it set up Nick Bugstad mm -hmm. to be the hero. I mean, the Panthers had had several chances to close it out before then, and, and the Caps kept tying it up. And then finally, on the 20th round of the shootout, Nick Bugstad scores. And I remember the way that Randy Muller finished the call. He said, Bugstad scores. 
and now I can go to bed. (laughs) (laughs) Randy's the best, man. (laughs) That was crazy. It was so cool because, you know, for especially like the the first uh, few seasons that I did, um, how many different nights that one included, I got to witness some sort of history you know, longest ever NHL shootout. You know, I, I always felt like whenever there were games that Luongo was involved in, we always had to watch milestones, right? Because, you know, Luongo, amazing, and he'd been in the league so long that it was like he was always approaching someone in appearances or, or at career shutouts. And then, of course, you know, for the time that Yarmir Yager was a Florida Panther, and I think it was that first season, I, I want to say it was that I, year yeah, that I he arrived. He, yeah, it was the 20 20- traded the for him at the end of that the, season. Because it was the so next that was a season crazy, yeah. when Yager so that, that was, was a crazy here. season, even though the Panthers didn't even make the, the playoffs that year. It was still a wild season because then once Yager arrived, yeah. you know, he was knocking on the door of various records. Basically, every time he touched the puck, every point, every assist, every goal was history making. So it was tremendous, man. It, it was really fun. And it was baptism by fire because I had been, Dave, <laughs> to that point, I had been a casual hockey fan really since the mighty the first mighty ducks movie came out was when i first caught the hockey bug and then i had been following the panthers since their inaugural season but i I wasn't like that hardcore of a hockey fan although i was really all in you know 96 the stanley cup run as i'm sure you and your family were as well it was all in for that man panther raps on the radio i mean it was that was that was a hockey town for that brief little moment of time yeah it was great and I, i had a chance to go to uh to one of the uh, the playoff games uh, against the Flyers that That's year, cool. my dad took me out to the arena. We were throwing the plastic rats on the ice. It was just unreal, and it was like an infectious that season. Uh, and then you know, but I, I had never like really gotten to become a hardcore hockey fan until I started doing the broadcast. So then it's like, man, like it's one thing just to watch it. It's another thing to be keeping up with all the line changes and all the rules and all the strategies. So, you know, being able to see like history made in some kind of a milestone every couple of nights really made it even more fun. Yeah. And, and as you said, like that year, your first year uh, was, I think when pretty sure that's when the Panthers traded for Yarder because it was the following year when they made the playoffs with Yarder and he's breaking the records when they had that winning streak and, and you had a front row seat for all that. So, I mean, the timing was pretty sweet at the beginning. It's too bad, though. Uh, I do miss seeing you up in the press box, man. That, that box is filled with some of my, between you, Plagans, Billy. When you're not there, it's K-Raj. I mean, talk about an awesome group of people. Manny Chang running the board. Yeah, <laughs> all-star crew. Um, yeah, man. And I know uh, I, I'm going to I'm going to start getting out there more. Um, you know, there, there's really there's really no reason not to go out there, except uh, I, I am so washed these days you know, with my <laughs> schedule, with my kid and how early he gets me up. But there's no reason for me not to get out there more. And especially once he gets older and he'll start like sleeping past like 6, 6.30 a.m. on most days when I wake oh, up with him, I'm going to start getting out there more because I, yeah, I miss the press box meals. I miss the, uh, the chicken tenders and I miss the chicken wings, those little empanadas that they roll out there sometimes. It is such a good time up there. Yeah, I'm curious what they're going to do moving forward because last year everything was like prepackaged. The quality was still very much on point but they did a good job with the COVID protocols. Um, Before we get too far off topic here, which I know we always have a tendency of doing, um, I did want to ask you for one more favorite thing. Um, We kind of, you know, danced around your broadcast experience with the Panthers. 
any moments in the booth from over the years that that stand out in your head is just you know kind of similar to to Randy Moore just kind of yelling now I can go to bed you know stuff like that oh well, well so, some of the best was always just seeing the way the dynamics worked in the booth whether I was working you know with Randy or once Randy went over to TV and I was working with Doug being able to like look over and gesture to like Denny Potvin and Steve Goldstein, like, cause they're, they're right in the booth. Uh, they were right next to us. Of course, uh, De Denny no longer does the, uh, the, the analyst role, but he, he was in there for a number of years that I was working on the broadcast, like yelling at those guys, communicating with those guys. And then, you know, for several years being in the booth with Bill Lindsay, um, he, he's basically the human personification of a mullet. Cause it's like business <laughs> in the front party in the back. Like right. that's Bill Lindsay, because this guy, he is so much fun to work with, like just shooting the breeze with him, chatting with him, making jokes, you know, before you get on the air and after you get on the air. And then once you're on the air, he is one of the most consummate professionals. Um, and he's very old school. Like he keeps all of his notes handwritten so i see him like i don't even know if i know how to write anymore like i can type <laughs> but i'm not even sure like if i can use a pen and paper anymore because it's been so long since i've done that and then you look over at bill Lindsay, and he's got like six or seven pages of handwritten notes and all these stats that compiles and even like working with him is so great because when i'm doing when i was doing like intermission shows sometimes like Bill Lindsay would like tap me on the shoulder, like while I'm on the air and he would like stick his notes in my face. Cause he's got this little stat that he circled that happens to be kind of something that ties into exactly what I'm talking about at that moment. So he's, he's always listening and he's always helping out and, and man, and it's also great, you know, when you're up there in the booth, the characters that will roll through whenever we get the Dave Dwork cameos to come and say oh, hello. Yeah. And when people like George Richards would pop in and of course, Randy Moeller, would come in there to see how we're doing and then you know getting the, those 50 50 raffle tickets was always a good time as well you know it really was uh, it really was awesome and uh, and being able to visit with like some of the characters from you know the other radio and tv broadcasts that come in as well it, it's always a lot of fun so man uh, i've got so many memories and i and i love of course to this day going back to the tradition that was started in 1996 even if you're not allowed to throw them after every goal, people right. throwing the rats on the ice after victories. It's something that it's crazy how a lot of like the young Panthers fans, like the kids in attendance weren't even around when that tradition started. And then me thinking back to my childhood, you know, when I was uh, 11 uh, years old, you know, that, that playoff run in 1996, thinking Scott Mellonby, the rat trick and how that history, you know, carries on almost 30 years later is really a trip. What's really cool about it, I find, is that not many teams have a tradition like that. Like, you always think back to, like, the one I always remember is the Red Wings and their octopi, octopi yeah. or whatever. And I know there's a couple others that I can never remember on the spot, but I know that there's not many. So the Panthers having something like that, considering not the best historical franchise, you know, obviously not much winning yet, yet, caveat, yes. asterisk, whatever. But it's really a cool tradition that the fans really get behind to the point where we actually had a giant fat rat mascot for a little while i think we still do uh yeah. victory rat so i you know you gotta love that yeah it's so cool and then i think it, it took me like three years to even figure out that victor e rat is a pun i'm like wait victory victory rat oh it took me a while to figure that one out well alex i will not keep you any longer thank you so much for doing this and for sharing these memories with us man i really do appreciate it and uh hopefully i'll see you at the press box soon 
yeah, I'm going to get out there for sure this year. I mean, last year with, uh, with the extended protocols and I know COVID's not gone uh, or anything like that, but I, I am vaccinated and everything. So yeah, I hope to hope to get out there more this season, Dave, and I'll see you out there. Awesome. See you then brother. All right. Joining me now is somebody who uh, is quite familiar with the Panthers, maybe more of old than of new um, somebody who covered the team for a decade and uh, joining me now, Michael Russo, who currently covers the Minnesota wild for the athletic, but did some amazing work when he was with the Panthers and obviously still does now. Uh, Michael, thank you so much for uh, taking a little time on the podcast. Yeah, anytime, dude. So uh, as we were just saying before we hit record, you were, you were covering the team from 95 to 05, full-time in 97. So, you know, immersed in uh, some interesting years for the Panthers at that time. <laughs> I mean, it was a little bit more ebb and flow uh, at that point because you did have a couple playoff ex- uh, seasons mixed in there. You had the Pavel Bure years mixed in there. And then you also had kind of, the Keenan and the dark ages that followed. Um, but I'm really curious just to hear your perspective and uh, to hear if you had any favorite memories from, from that time. Yeah. I mean, you know, honestly, David, I could go on and on and on. We can make this like a 10 hour um, <laughs> uh, podcast because I, I, was, I mean, one, it shaped my career, but two, I still remember those days. Like it was yesterday. There were a lot of interesting moments covering um, that team. And, you know, I still, even though I've been here in Minnesota, it's going to be my 17th season covering the wild. I mean, it's become a, a hashtag in Minnesota. If you look it up FLA reference, because I <laughs> mentioned the wild, I mentioned the Panthers so often with my coverage that wild fans are essentially tired, tired of it. But, you know, it, it was a great time to cover that team. I worked with a couple incredible beat writers that were my competition, but really showed me the ropes and helped, uh, helped teach me, how to be a beat writer. And that was David Neal from the Miami Herald and Brian began from the Palmish post. We were, we hung out on the road. We traveled together. They taught me how to travel, how to get into arenas and things like that. Um, and it was just an incredible group of characters on that team. Like I, th- those 95, like there's still a bond, David, like whenever I see these guys, whether it's, it's, um, you know, Billy Lindsay or Tommy Fitzgerald or Scott Mellenby or Stu Barnes or Gordon Murphy and, and Beezer and, and Dave Lowry. I mean, all these guys are still in the game. Um, I see Mellenby all the time up here in Minnesota. He's based up here as the assistant GM of the Montreal Canadiens. And I think it, that's big, you know, Rob Niedermeyer and I are, are still tight as well. And there's just, it, it, there was something special about that group of players, but you know, my, my biggest memory is right away, you mentioned right at the outset, is Pavel Bure. Like, I still remember sitting in my condo in Boca Raton, Florida, when the, when the Panthers traded for Bure, and I'm like, wow, this team just became legit. It was a blockbuster trade. Unfortunately, he tore his ACL um, soon after he got to the Wild, uh, excuse me, the Panthers. Um, you know, I think he played 13 games that first year, but then he comes back after this incredible rehab and scores back to back 58 and 59 goal seasons. Yeah. He signed the giant extension. If I remember, it was like it was 47 and a half million, maybe with a yeah, with an option year that brought it to like 58, if I remember correctly. And that was, again, a Florida Panthers team that had nobody like that making that type of money. And I still remember. You got to double check this, but I feel like his first goal with the Panthers was at Nassau Coliseum. Yes. Um, yeah. And he was a great guy. Robert Svela hit him with a home run pass right at the red line. And he came in down our side of the ice, which was the Panthers bench side. And that's where we were on the press box. And he just flew. And in Nassau Coliseum, the press box, the sight lines are still the best in the National Hockey League. I mean, you were essentially on the ice. And I'm not kidding you, it felt to me, I still see it in slow motion when the back of his jersey raised up on this breakaway. 
I felt like the, almost the banners in front of the press box like, lifted in the air. Like it was just like <laughs> gust of wind. And he scores a breakaway goal. And I'm not kidding you. I almost fell out of the press box because again, covering the Panthers at that time, we just didn't see that type of speed and dynamic ability. And, and he was everything you could ask for. He was, you know, he was charismatic. He was dating Anna Kornikova. He lived on South beach. He was like the perfect Miami celebrity. And he became, you know, he became gossip fodder. So like, like gossip fodder, like at the, at the Sun Sentinel at the time, we had a gossip columnist that used to like essentially I forget his name. It was like um, Lambert or something. I forget his name or gossip gossip writer that we had at the Sun Sentinel. They used to like follow him around town, and <laughs> it was a lot of fires that I had to pull out, uh, put out to um, covering that. So that was probably my biggest, um, you know, like like joy was covering Pavel Bure and getting to watch this guy in a clutch and grab era in a dead puck era. Yeah, scored fifty eight and fifty nine goals. I still remember this goal that he scored in Montreal at the Bell Center. Um, against Jeff Hackett and it was just one of these plays he comes down the left wing takes a fake shot of the left circle Hackett absolutely bites and Beret literally skates around him behind him through the crease and just backhands the puck into an open net with Hackett just out and I'm just like this guy you know he he, he had every bag of you know every tool in the toolbox he was just unbelievable um Another great memory that just popped in my head was 1998. And if you haven't talked to David Neal, you got to get his perspective on this one. But we're in Calgary. It's my first road trip of that. It was like January. And it's a one um, nothing game in the third period. And it's 1 a.m. back east. And it was one of those things where um, you had to file the second the game's over. I get we're using these laptops at the time that you push this this um, button on the left side of your laptop and out comes a little phone outlet and you would put your outlet into, you put your the phone cord into this outlet and that's how you would send your story. And so I'm writing and I'm ready to file the gun. This game is, you know, one, nothing. All of a sudden, I can't remember if it was Radek Dvorak or Kirk Muller scores a breakaway goal to tie the game up in the third period. Brian game from the Palm Beach Post gets up and in the Calgary Saddledome press box, still to this day, you have to like walk. The visiting media has no TVs to look at replays. You have to walk like a couple little sections down to look at the replay. He wraps his foot around the cord of the telephone, gets up to go look at the replay, uh, breaks the little plastic outlet that popped out of my computer. And I watch again in slow motion, this thing hover over the press box. And now I am in panic mode because I have no way to send my story. So I call up the Sun Sentinel and I still remember the phone number, an 800 number. I call them up and I'm like, you're not gonna believe it. My phone, my, my laptop just absolutely broke. There's no way for me to send my story. I'm gonna have to dictate you my article, but I also, they just tied the game up in the third period. So I'm gonna have to wing this dictation. It's overtime now. And this is where I, I get confused if Radic, it was Radic Borek or Kirk Muller that scored the goal because in, in overtime, one of those two got a breakaway. And I, I thought the game was going to end and I'm like dictating it and, and it was just an absolute mess. So all of a sudden the game, the game like comes to a halt in overtime. And I'm sitting there buried in my computer sort of like winging this dictation to the person that's under on the other end of the phone phone that I again have no clue the outcome of the game I'm just like making stuff up as I go along and I hear David Neal screaming at me Russo Russo look up look up and I look up at the ice and there is a streaker 
a naked man running around the ice in the middle of overtime. And I just blurred out. And in overtime, a naked man has run on the ice and streaked or whatever. And that was my play. <laughs> middle of my game story just inexplicably just in the middle and in overtime a streaker ran on the and the next day in the calgary herald front page and this is where you got to get talked to david j um david neal um he still has this newspaper front page of the calgary herald a picture of the man with a maple leaf over his private parts and it just says puck naked in the front page of the calgary it might have been the calgary sun and it was just absolutely hysterical so that's one of the other memories that comes into my mind Two other things that just popped in my head was covering Brian Murray. Like I, I like Brian Murray um, was an absolute um, wonderful human being, um, and but he was gritty. Like you know, I was a young sports writer to learning my way, and if he was ticked off at you, he didn't let you get away with anything. He would just tell you off right there. And I remember in '98, the year they fired Doug McLean, Brian took over as the coach, and so he's the coach and the GM. It's the All Star break. We're in Vancouver. It's an eight-game road trip, and the Panthers didn't win one game. The first half of the, the, uh, the, the road trip is five games. We go up to Vancouver, cover the All-Star game. I have to write my midseason report, and I gave him an F as coach and an F as GM, two separate Fs in the Sun Sentinel. So now the season continues. We go down to California to complete the road trip. In Anaheim, I walk down this hallway and on the other end, I see Brian Murray and this is pre cell phone era. So there was no way for him to really call me all ticked off during the Ulster break, upset at his grades. The entire way down the hallway, he is just motherfucking me. I mean, just mother, I mean, you know, just absolutely screaming me. And then after afterwards, it was like nothing. Like he got it out and then we just continued to be pals. You know I mean? That was the great thing about him. He really did mentor me it was really kind of neat so in 97 98 the panthers had some sort of um um sponsorship with the sun sentinel where i would ghostwrite the coaches column each week next to my giant sunday column and well doug mcclain gets fired brian murray takes over and now brian murray's got to take over this thing that doug mcclain was going to do each week with me and so every single week as a young 21 year old sports writer I got to sit in an office with the GM and coach of the team. And obviously, so we're talking each week with a different subject. I'd ghostwrite his column, but when you're that young and you get to be have an audience with the GM and the coach, you talk about everything in sports, right. everything in hockey, everything about the team. And so I learned so much that year from just dealing with Brian Murray and how to do this job, how to cover the NHL, rules of the NHL, meeting people. He really treated me like a veteran when I was a young rookie, know it, you know, know nothing but know it all, sports writer, and uh, so that was really neat. Uh, toughest part of my career was definitely covering Mike Keenan. You know, he and I butted heads a lot. Although, you know, the couple times I've seen him since he's been there, he's been really cordial to me. Gave me a hug at a draft once, um, things like that. But the biggest Mike Keenan story that I remember is it was major friction between Rick Dudley, the GM, and Mike Keenan, the coach. I mean, it was it was just a power struggle. From start to the end of Mike Keenan's uh, reign as coach, when he got fired after pulling Roberto Luongo in St. Louis, he basically got fired in, in on the tarmac in Fort Lauderdale after they got back, because we found out when we were connecting in Atlanta on our way home. But um, the biggest thing was that rookie year of Stephen Weiss. Um, you know, they have the ten game rule for rookies that are under that are that are on entry level deals, whether they can go if they still junior eligible. If you play nine or less games, you don't earn the first year of the contract. Well. 
um, we're in Chicago at the United Center. That morning is that game is going to be game 10. I called Rick Dudley up, who was scouting in St. Louis at the time. And I said, hey, you know, um, it was the day before. I said, is, is, my, is, is are you going to keep Stephen Weiss? And he gives me the scoop. Yeah, we're going to keep him. So I read this big story with the Chicago Dateline, Panthers uh, keeping Stephen Weiss. He's here for the duration, right? Next day at the morning skate, I walk into the United Center and walking by me with his equipment is Stephen Weiss all broken up. And I'm like, what's going on? And he goes, Mike Keenan just sent me back to juniors. And now I am irate because I not only got the story wrong, but it's front page in the Sun Sentinel, Weiss is staying. Yeah. So I call Rick Dudley up from a payphone. Again, this is sort of like pre-cell phone era. And I said, what the F? Why did you lie to me? And he goes, what are you talking about? I go, I just walked into the United Center and Stephen Weiss just left. Like, like, like he just told me Keenan sent him back to juniors. He goes, what are you talking about? This is the GM of the team. I said, Stephen Weiss was just sent back to juniors by Mike Keenan. He goes, let me call you back. And he calls me back like an hour later back in my hotel. And he is now speeding from St. Louis to Chicago. Alan Cohen, the owner of the team, flew to Chicago and the three, Mike Keenan, Stephen Weiss, uh, Mike Keenan, Rick Dudley, and Alan Cohen were going to meet in a suite that day and discuss this. But without permission, Mike Keenan sent Stephen Weiss back wow. to junior. And anyway, um, worst comes to, you know, uh, end, of, end of a long story here, Rick Dudley winds up uh, saving the day. Stephen Weiss never goes back to junior and spent the rest of the year. But that was the beginning of the end between the relationship between Mike Keenan and, and Rick Dudley. It was an ugly, ugly situation. And they never got along. <laughs> So then you think that Rick Dudley's getting his the last laugh. He gets to fire Mike Keenan in the fall. He takes over as interim coach. Then at the trade deadline in 2004, I'm here in Minnesota covering the All-Star game, and I get the scoop that John Trochetti is going to take over for Rick Dudley so he can just concentrate on the All-Star game. Excuse me, on the uh, trade deadline. But John Trochetti takes over, does a really good job the rest of the year. It looks like Torch is going to wind up taking over and becoming the head coach of the team, even though he, they, he was majorly lowballed by for a contract offer. And then we're at the Stanley Cup final in 04. It's between like games one and two, maybe even before game one. And David Neal and I get word at the, the media availability that we better back to South Florida that not only was Rick Dudley fired, but Mike Keenan and Jack Martin were coming in as a, as a tag team. So it was like, you know, Rick Dudley thought he got the last laugh, but then next thing you know, behind the scenes, Rick, Mike Keenan, who had an incredible relationship with Alan Cohen, the owner at the time, winds up being the uh, the guy that essentially backstabs Dudley and comes back as GM with Jacques Martin as coach. You can't make it up. The no. coach that was fired that season comes back as GM to replace the GM that fired him. I mean, you can't make that stuff up, right? I mean, you know, that doesn't, no. that stuff doesn't happen in, in pro sports, but it happened in Florida. So yeah, that's the thing. It's like a microcosm of Panthers, you know, Panthers lore from like, yeah. you know, the late nineties till. Yeah. I mean, you think about, it, I was thinking about it just now because I'm writing this feature, this feature on the wild and I'm writing how, how the, the wild have won since 2003, two playoff games past the first round, but they've been to the playoffs like eight of the last nine years. Right. Well, I mean, just think of like in South Florida, there are 24 year old men and women that have never seen them win a playoff, you know, round. That, that is nuts. Um, and so that's why I just I, I look at this uh, Panthers team now with with Joel Quenville coaching them and Brunette on the bench and Barkov captaining them and 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 you know Bill Zito taking over. And I just I see a, a makings of a really quality team. 
And what I hope is they, they, they just stay out of their own way. Because I've always said in Florida, if, if the behind the scenes, the front office, the ownership was nearly as good as the on-ice product, they would be one of the best teams in the league. But they can never get out of their own way. And, um, you know, it's just been a, a state of dysfunction there and instability for a long, long time. And hopefully now they, you know, settle on one coach and settle on one GM and settle on one owner and they just come up with a plan and stick with the plan. And if they can stick with that plan, that team has the makings of being a great hockey team. Um, but that's been always their issue. And so, you know, I wish them the best of luck because, uh, you know, I still, as everybody here in Minnesota knows, has, have a real soft spot for, for that franchise and that team. You know, I still remember walking through that, that arena when it was called National Car Rental Center and walking around with, a, you know, a hard hat on in, in a construction zone, getting the look of, of this, the, the iron beams that was going to create this palace. And anybody that's been to that arena now knows that it's one of the finest, most beautiful, picturesque arenas in the league. Um, and and so, you know, they the Panthers fans down there deserve, especially the ones that have stuck with them for 25 years, deserve to see a winner. Yeah, they've come a long way. But but as you said, it looks like things are starting to shape up in their favor just with the stability. You've had the same ownership group now for a decade. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it looks like you found your GM. Bill, you know, every move that Bill Zito's made, he really seems to have his finger on the pulse of the team. Yeah. And then when you add to that, Joel Quenville, one of the best coaches in recent yeah. NHL history, a captain like Sasha Barkov, they've got Jonathan Huberto, they've got Aaron Ekblad. I mean, in their history, they've never been this set up to succeed. So yeah. I think, as you said, that's, that's the missing key, right? Can they stay out of their own way? No doubt. And, um, you know, it's kind of cool. I was just thinking as you were saying that too, how, how cool it is that Duds is back there in a, in a periphery <laughs> role as, uh, as an advisor to, uh, to, 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 um, to Bill Zito, um, who I really like, by the way, I, uh, he was up for the wild job here when Bill Guerin got it. And, um, you know, just a really classy, great guy. Um, so yeah, I think that they have the makings of something pretty cool. You know, one other thing, David, that, that just popped in my head was just obviously 96. I know the year of the rat is probably overblown and everybody talks about it on the podcast. You can't talk about that year enough down here. Come on, what are you talking about? The thing that I remember is driving to Miami Arena and that was when I was like back up to the back up to the back up, right? I was I was like third or fourth string on the Sun Sentinel uh, roster of, of writers, you know? And, um, you know, I was super young, less than 21 and for, or about 21. Um, but anyway, um, I, I still remember just pulling off, you know, I-95 there and going right under the underpass and being stopped by people that were that were um, that were selling rats. You know, <laughs> if you remember the, the drugstore Eckerd. Oh, yeah. You go to Eckerd and there'd be no rats on the shelf. You go to Toys R Us, no rats on the shelf. Like rats were cleared off the shelves in South Florida and there were people sitting there, you know, uh, you know, um, uh, just sitting there selling rats, not tickets, <laughs> rats for like 15, 20 bucks to throw on the ice that night against the Pittsburgh Penguins or the Philadelphia Flyers or the Boston Bruins in that playoff round. You know, it's just, I mean, you know, you can't, you can't make that up when you have scalpers out there scalping rats and rats. Scalpers. <laughs> you know, it's, it's pretty neat. It's, uh, it's just, uh, and and then to you know see Roberto Longo back with the organization and, and uh, who's still one of the funniest players that I've ever covered in my <laughs> life and uh, um, it's just it's it's really neat so I wish them all the best but um, you know and I'm cool I'm really glad that you're doing this podcast uh, I think that a lot of people you know it's easy to forget the glory days just because um, 
just because, you know, they haven't had a ton of on-ice success. But, you know, again, those were special players. Those those teams, I mean, that, that group of guys that were on those original 93 to 96 Panther teams are, you know, there's a reason why a dozen of them are still involved in hockey. I mean, Jody Hull up in junior hockey. And, and you know, there's just so many guys that are just still a huge part of it. And every time I see them, it's the same thing. You know, you see running to Stu Barnes or Gordon Murphy or Dave Lowry or Billy Lindsay at Fitzy. Um, it's just really neat. Um, you know, it's really cool. So like July 4th last year, what are the chances? It's like midnight. And I get a text message from Tom Fitzgerald, who's again, the devil's GM, wishing me a happy 4th of July. And within a minute, I get a text message from Mark Parrish when he wishing me a 4th of July. I still have the screen capture if you want it. And I'm just like, wow, that is crazy. Two guys that I covered it in 1998, heads up trade. Fitzgerald was traded to Colorado for for Mark Parrish. And here we are 22 years later, and the two of them coincidentally a minute apart wish me a happy 4th of July. Like how how cool is that, that I've been doing this job for that long, that I still have relationship with players that I covered it in a heads up trade 22 years ago. You know, it's, it's just, it really is amazing. You know how like people tell a sports story and they're like, oh man, you got me ready to run through a brick wall <laughs> hearing you talk about that has me ready to run through a journalism brick wall right now like getting my start doing this for the last few years like hearing how long you've been doing it and the relationships that you've established and oh my god cool doesn't begin to describe yeah no it's, awesome it's really neat i mean you know this 27th year covering the national hockey league coming up for me and 17 here in minnesota and when i look back and i think about like David J. Neal, who was a real mentor of mine when he was the Miami Herald beat writer, who still works for the Miami Herald, just not in sports. Um, you know, and I, I think that here I've been doing it probably longer than him at this point. Um, it really is shocking to me when I think back to a guy that really took me under his wing when he didn't have to, right? He's the Miami Herald. I was the Sun Sentinel. He didn't have to treat me well. Um, and here I am still doing the job. It just, you know, it, it makes you, it really does make you reminisce and appreciate guys like Began and David Neal and, and Jeff Rimmer. Uh, the play-by-play -play guy immediately took me under his wing as the as the play-by-play -play guy there. Um, That's who I grew up listening to uh, yeah. watching Panther games. I mean, sparkling save by Van Beesburg. Yeah, yeah you know? exactly. So, yeah, and he's still doing it too. Like he's still yeah, the Columbus Columbus. Blue Jackets play-by-play -play guy. Isn't that cool? Yeah, and it's, it's just, awesome. Uh, yeah. Well, Michael, thank you so much for doing this. I I think this was an amazing kind of a full circle conversation. Um, yeah, I know. I I'm always off the cuff, David. Like I not, like stream of consciousness with me. That's so, exactly the point think of, of 20 more stories the rest of the day. And like text you, I'm like, Hey, let's do it again. So, you know what? We might have to dedicate a whole podcast. Just to let you go. Yeah. Uh, any, honestly, anytime you want to do that, I'd, I'd be happy to, because I, I do love it. It was, trust me as an aspiring journalist back in the day, it was a great place to learn because there was a lot of just weird stories. You know, <laughs> uh, I mean, there was one year they had this like, I mean, the Luongo's Legion story where like his now father-in-law used to bring a bunch of Italian guys to the games and bring in, bring in like drums and stuff. And they'd sit in the upper bowl end zone and just bang drums all game. And then they, the super rich, posh, Boca Raton, Miami, Palm Beach uh, fans in the lower bowl essentially went crazy and got them kicked out of the air. Like they were no longer allowed to bring their instruments in. And this is Roberto Luongo's father-in-law. Um, you know, like the monks, that's another incredible story. They had this weird marketing campaign, this monks thing. And then the, the Panthers were like on fire. And then they bring in this weird, like they had these monks that literally would come into the lower bowl and just do weird stuff. 
And the Panthers all of a sudden, their season took an absolute turn for the worse and they couldn't win at home and everything. And everybody blamed the monks. Uh, <laughs> look that up. That's a great story too. Weird, weird story. Awesome. But, but again, just thank you so much for taking a little time and more than a little time. I love this. Um, I'm definitely going to hold you to having you on another pod because I feel like there's a lot more uh, fun. Just looking at the smile on your face. Nobody can see it because we're on Zoom, but I can just see the look on your face that there's a lot more and I, I can't wait to hear about it. But thank you so much, Michael. And also just keep up the great work, man. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah, it's, it's weird how I just still like the Panthers to me. It's like how I started. So I just get so happy talking about them. And I've covered them seven years less than I've covered the wild. And yet it, I still like look back to the, the Panthers as like, you know, the soft spot in my heart. So, um, you know, and all those sports teams down there. I mean, I got my start at, I started at 15 years old at the Sun Sentinel, David, and grew up there until age 31. And so, um, you know, it just, uh, you know, there's something about that market and that newspaper and that team that uh, really just still warms my heart. All right, well, that's going to do it for our three-part Favorite Panthers Memories podcast series. Uh, I hope you enjoyed hearing from all these different amazing guests who certainly brought a ton of different perspectives on uh, on some great Panthers stories. Uh, I want to thank Jameson Olive, Roy Bellamy, Billy Lindsay, Alex Dono, and Michael Russo for joining this episode of the pod and all the other amazing guests uh, who've joined the last three episodes uh, for taking some time and, and reliving some of their awesome memories and thoughts from from their times in Pantherland from over the years and years and years. Um, also, a big thank you to everyone out there who is listening and subscribing to the podcast. Uh, please be sure, I always remind you, to check out my Panthers coverage on Local10.com or by downloading the Local10 app as well. And as always, you can follow me on Twitter at David Work for daily coverage of the Cats. And guess what? Hockey season's almost here, so we're going to be ramping up, baby. All right, enough awkwardness for me. Until next time, everybody, please take care, stay safe, be kind, and of course, stay cool.